Good morning again. Got a couple of announcements before we uh, get started. <clears throat> the first one is kind of cool. Um, everyone, or I think most of you know John McDonald. John, you want to wave or stand up or do a jig or something? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> John is going to be on TV. Um, he's got a show that's coming on called Kingdom Dimensions, and it's going to be from 6 to 7 on the following dates. So it's a six-week run, uh, January the 6th, 13th, 20th, 27th, and then February 3rd and 10th. Uh, and it's on Comcast, Channel 95, and um, Verizon 36. Is that correct? Okay. So if you wanted, and it's a call-in show, correct? Okay. So you can watch, and then if you have questions, you can call in and and talk to John, or you can, you know, he's usually here on Sunday, you can talk to him then too. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, check that out if you would. I think this is a, it's a neat opportunity uh, for him. And okay, yeah, for people like me that have DirecTV and the town of Ashland so generously won't put anything else out in our area, so we're sort of stuck there. Uh, all right, Karen Willis wanted to share something that's actually pretty cool. And I got to tell you a little bit of a backstory here. Karen had organized this or had been, you know, primarily responsible for organizing this night of prayer that we had on uh, January 1st. And so <laughs> so we're here and and she didn't show up. And I'm like, "Well, now wait a minute." <laughs> So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to assume that there's a good reason for it, you know, that <laughs> she didn't just stand us up for no particular reason. And it turns out there was a very good reason. So I'll let you tell the rest of the story. So I truly, truly apologize for not being here on that night. But um, since September the 8th, I had really, Elias and I had really been praying for my daughter. Um you know, my daughter has the two kids, and, you know, we try to pull them in as much as possible. And she, um, you know, has a lot going on in her life. A whole lot was going on in her life. Um, so we really have been praying for her, and we wanted to see God just do something great in her life. Well, we had, uh, I planted a seed on September the 8th. That's why I remember that date. I planted a seed on that date for her. Well, she had begun to listen. You know how you don't talk to your kids when you're so you don't talk to your kids about God. They just don't want to really hear you tell them about God. So I sort of snuck it in. You know, just pray about this and pray about that. But she really was listening this time and not just saying, okay, mom, okay. But um on Christmas Eve, no, I'm sorry, on New Year's Eve, she had called and she said, well, you know, I knew she was going to my uh, son's church. She always go with them to church on New Year's Eve. So she said, I'm going to church on New Year's Eve. I said, okay, that's cool. We'll see you all, you know, the next day probably. Well, she called back later and said, I'm singing. And I'm like, wait a minute. You don't 
don't sing at a church you haven't been going to, you know, regularly, and why are you singing? Well, one of the members that are in, that's in the choir called her and said, I want you to come and practice with us. I want you to sing. And she said, yeah. And she said, well, you know, she got off work late, and she said, it's going to take me a long time to get there. I said, no, it won't. Just go. They asked you, just go. You know, it's nothing to it. And the reason that she can sing is my daughter used to be in a choir. She used to run a choir. She used to, when she was at U of R, she ran the Umoja Choir at U of R. She had a singing group, um, and they used to sing a lot in Baltimore and with a lot of the people that was out there now that's made it real big. My daughter used to be one of those members in those groups back then that used to sing a lot, and she stopped. Well, they did. They called her. She did. She go. And I said, wait a minute, God, what's going on? If she's going to sing and she's going to agree, if she rolls out of here and she keeps on going, she's going. I said, so you're going to have to let me know, is this okay? Can I go? Can I go? And, you know, I'm like, I told you, I told Elias what had happened. He said, wow, God's doing something. And I wanted to be there because if she sing, I'm in the back, I'm praying. I never told her that we were coming. I'm in the back, and we were praying. By the third song, that girl was crying. When, the, when, she got, when they got through, he started talking about your issues, your issues. Don't worry about your issues. We all got issues. God didn't tell you to come clean. He told you to come with your issues, and he can take care of all your issues. He said, how many of you all want to just go before God tonight and just give him everything? Don't worry about those issues. Don't worry about all this, 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 because he said, I got it. And her hand went up. And it was quite a few in there. Their hands went up. Their hands went up. And he prayed. And when she walked out of there tonight, she looked back and she saw us. She was like, Wow, I didn't know y'all were coming. But it was okay because we knew we needed to be there to help pray her through this part. And we let her go on, have her fun. We didn't come back and say, wow, you know. She came back the next day and started telling me all what the, you know, wasn't he good? Didn't he talk about this? He talked about my issues. And he was like, and he got issues? I was like, yeah, you know. That was good for all of us. We all got issues. I got issues, you know. But God worked that thing out, and I was there to see him answer my prayer. He answered my prayer. That was, that was why I didn't come. But in all of that, I also want to tell you, prayer here on Sunday mornings. If you can't come at 9 o'clock, come at 9.30. Come at 9.45. We need to do this corporately to pray. I can't pray for everybody in here and make a, um, I can pray for you in my own private time at home. I'm not saying I can't pray, but when we all get together and pray, you know, two takes out 10,000. But when we all come together and pray for the church, for the needs of the church, for uh, everything that we have going on that we would like to have going on, you know, we get together and pray for it, even if it's for 15 minutes. We can make a big, big difference, and a big hole can come in 
and we can start seeing things change. But we need to do it together. That's one thing God has been working with me with. And I know that starting this year off, we got to do it right. I can't be the one to stand in the gap by myself for as much as we need to do here for this church. Okay? It's for this church. It's not for me. It's for each and every one of us. We've got a new year, and we are standing victorious in this new year. We want to see so much going on by this time next year that we can, we got a list. We're going to have a list. And in all that we do in praying for this church, look at how God is going to answer your prayers to bring you forward so that you can be standing here doing the very same thing next year. If it's not family, it's our issues that we can say that we're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Amen. All right, well, I guess that's worth an excused absence. <laughs> that's just very cool. I've known um, Tanya for a while, uh, which is Karen's daughter. She's talking about, and uh, she really has, you know, been in a in a battle, in a struggle. And so it's just I, when, because I the next day I texted Karen and I was, you know, trying like, are you guys okay? kind of missed you the last night and she texted me back and told me what was going on and it was just so so gratifying to see that uh, I was just so happy that nobody was sick <laughs> it was it was a good reason for not being here so all right well before we get into this let's pray <clears throat> father I just uh, just pray the words of Psalm 19 now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing unto you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that uh, anything that is not of you, Lord, that uh, would fall on deaf ears, but that your truth would not, that your truth would be heard with, uh, with physical ears and with spiritual ears. So I just give you thanks, Lord, that you are in this message and that your truth will come shining through. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you are aware, for the last six weeks, we've been in this devotional series. We've had this devotional and, you know, I've been doing a message based on that devotional each week. And um, so I went to prepare the message this week and um, I just was not getting anywhere with it, which happens periodically. And generally, I've come now to recognize that when that happens, I mean, God is trying to say something. So I just really started to pray about it. And uh, he took me in this really interesting little direction that I'll share with you here in a minute. But I felt like because we have done all of the devotionals leading up to this point, that I wanted to at least kind of share the devotional for this week and then a few of the points that it made. And then I'll kind of segue into the other. So uh, kind of meant to say at the beginning, if the message seems a little disjointed, it is. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for that because that's God's thing. So for uh, this is the devotional reading for New Year's. <clears throat> what does Christmas have to do with the new year? Everything. We step into each January 1st with hope in our heart for relational health, 
financial peace, and spiritual renewal. Some years our hopes are realized. At other times we feel as though we've gone backwards. We see the resolutions across the screen leading up to this day. Then every New Year's Day, people begin to implement their inner commitments. A University of Scranton study published by Forbes revealed that nearly 40% of people make New Year's resolutions, but less than 8% of them actually achieve them. Why? We are wandering hearts, hoping for the best, but wandering from place to place to find success. We start with confidence in our resolves, but then when there's a little bit of resistance, or we tire of our pursuits, we fall into old habits that keep us locked in on old results. We long for better lives, better jobs, better health, <clears throat> better, and better stories to tell at the end of the year. But we need leadership to get there. We need someone to be in charge of our lives someone other than us, <coughs> <coughs> to get us to God's best in the new year. Christmas is God saying, Jesus is Lord in Christ, and he will lead you through the days and nights ahead. He sees the end he has in mind for you. And if you'll just respond with obedience to his loving call, you'll arrive where he intends. God is wanting to weave your story into his great epic story of love this year. He may want to rewrite it in such a way that your character is transformed by harder circumstances. He may want to use prosperity and success to test your heart even further. He may use trials and tribulations to get you thinking about the world his way. Whatever your path ahead, Christ the Lord, Christ the leader, is ready to take charge if you will let him. Know as our wandering hearts start into this year that Christ, our Lord and leader, is not uncomfortable with messes or issues, especially if they help to form us into a masterpiece of love. When Handel was writing the Messiah, one of the most thrilling classical Christmas works of all time, the process was messy. <clears throat> his servant would bring his meals to a closed door. Often the servant would return to see the meal untouched. A friend visiting Handel once found him sobbing with intense emotion. After 24 days, Handel emerged with 260 pages of manuscript, the Messiah, in his shaking hands. Like that musical masterpiece, life can be a messy business. A circumstance can break into the beautiful music of our lives, tossing notes right and left, altering our rhythm, and ultimately changing keys haphazardly. <clears throat> there is always dissonance and a, and a cacophony in the moment. That is what the new year could bring, despite our greatest hopes for good to come our way. But God is working in the messy music. He has planned for all of this. He's not shocked by the trouble. He knows this experience. 
slowly as we fall into the arms of God, (coughs) helpless and unable to move ourselves forward, he creates a new movement out of the old theme. The chords change, the rhythm picks up again, and what seemed like chaos now becomes part of a living work of art. He has overcome the world and has overcome the challenges in your own world. Is he truly on the seat as Lord and leader in your life? Today is a day for you to resolve again with Christ to accept his lordship and leadership in your days and nights ahead. Give him your discontentment, your hopes and dreams, even your wandering in the chaos and let him have his way. And so that's the, the devotional. And the, <clears throat> the points that you know would have been made in the sermon had I chosen to write that one. Right? Well, let me put that a different way. Had God chosen for me to write that one. Um, would have been essentially to, first of all, acknowledge that Christ is the Lord of the past year. Right? Um, and, and to maybe think about the things that happened to you in the year that you had no idea of when the year started. You know, I immediately thought of um, my son and daughter-in-law and the fact that they knew they were getting married, but probably the furthest thing on their mind was that they would be in a house all in the same year. You know, that was just one of those things that was completely unexpected, but yet there it was. And I'm sure many of you could go through various other things like that too. You know, some good, some not so good. But the thing is that we need to remember in that is that since we can't know the future, should we approach the future with fear or with faith? See, that's the question that you have to answer. And if there are any regrets that you have that you're still carrying with you as you come into this new year, then why don't you take some time and just give them to Jesus and be done with them? The second point was that um, Christ is the Lord of the year ahead. And so I would ask you to look around at last year. And, um, well, many people kind of fear this, this idea of the future. They just, you know, they're scared of the future. Um, so what is that, you know, this whole idea of just, you know, we wonder, is everything going to go wrong? Um, but the thing is, what if everything goes right in the heart and the economy of God? What if the worst things that happen are things that actually draw you closer to Christ? And so we need to to remember to always be living in this God's, the presence of God's future, I think is the way to say it. You know, we know God's got a future, and so if we'll just live there, then uh, it'll be okay. So... All of this, you know, this from this message that was supposed to be this week, I mean, it's all really good stuff, but like I said, it's apparently just not <laughs> what God wanted me to talk about. So, and what happens when, when God starts to speak to me in this way, he makes it really, really difficult for me to write anything. 
mean, I just really start to struggle, and I can't get any traction on anything. <clears throat> so nothing really is working. And so I've learned after fighting it to just go, all right, Lord, stop. What are you trying to do here? And just pray. And, um, you know, I don't know why this is happening, so maybe someone, one of you is going to enlighten me later about, you know, well, that sermon, that was just for me. So I love that when that happens. But as I was sort of praying through this, I kept the words that I heard, and these were the exact words was, I have faith, give me more faith. I have faith, give me more faith. And I'm thinking, all right, where is that in Scripture? And I realized that it wasn't actually, those weren't the exact words of the quote. The exact words were, um, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Okay, and it's from uh, Mark 9, 14 through 29. <coughs> so what I'd like to do is read through that <coughs> and talk about then what God sort of highlighted in this text, which is very different from what I think the way this is normally preached. So Mark's Gospel, ninth chapter, starting in the 14th verse. <coughs> Now, to set this up a little bit, Jesus is just coming down um, after experiencing the, the transfiguration. Okay, so he's taken three disciples up with him. They go through this amazing time where God sort of enters the picture and they see Moses and Elijah there and they're just blown away by this. And so now they're coming down the mountain and this is what they're walking into. All right, so that gives you a little bit of a background. So it says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. 
After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, the typical focus of this particular passage when it's generally taught or preached, it focuses on the inability of the disciples to cast out this demon, okay? Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're struggling for some reason. They can't do this. And they ask why, and Jesus gives them this kind of a cryptic answer. He's like, well, this kind only comes out by prayer. I think some translations say prayer and fasting, okay? So that's usually where someone's going to take this particular passage. Oh, but not me. <laughs> and so as I read through this passage, because I'm still trying to figure out, okay, Lord, why did you take me here? Because this is not like a New Year's message that I could see. Turns out it was. Um, And so this, what he tended to show me was that we should resolve in this year, not just to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And, you know, for many, if not most of us here, we've already done that. But to resolve to really encounter Jesus this year. So the question that he really put before me is, to, to kind of talk through, is how can you resolve to encounter Jesus in 2015? And so here are you know, the thoughts that he drew from the text that I'll, I will share with you now. And the first one was this, run to him. Point number one is very simple, run to him. Pulls it from verse 15 that says, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And if I were to translate this, what this means, I would say it means this. Make Jesus your first option, not your last resort. Make Jesus your first option, not your last resort. See, when we have a problem, there's lots of options that we're, consider, we're kind of um, conditioned to go through, right? Depending on what it is, first option might be panic, <laughs> might be fear, might be depression. And then we, you know, after we kind of process through those, then we start to think, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, I can I'll call friends and see what they think I should do. Or if you're parents or, you know, some wise sages in your life, you may choose to call them and say, hey, you know, I've got this issue. I'm not really sure what to do. Can you help me? You know, what do I do here? Um, you can choose to do nothing. That's always an option. Generally not a great one, but it's an option. You can choose just to deal with it yourself. I think that's the option that many people choose to take most of the time. Well, I'll just do it myself. And then, if everything else fails and there is no other possible option anywhere on the table, we can get down on our hands and knees and examine this table and there's not another single option available anywhere, then we think, well, you know, maybe I'll pray. 
maybe I should pray about this. Because after all, I've tried everything else. Now think about that for a minute. And tell me it's not true. And you can't because it's true in my own darn life too. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't say to my own self. And it's why so often <laughs> when we do finally choose to pray that we get this, you know, Gomer Pyle moment where we go like, Shazam, prayer works. <laughs> and that's after we've gone through this whole process of denying everything else, every other option we can try, what we think to pray, and then it works. But then you know what? We'll go through the same exercise the next time. We'll go through all these same things and then eventually get around to prayer. Well, let me challenge you with this. What might happen if, instead of Jesus always being your last resort, he became your first option? What might that change? If we just took 10 minutes to pray when we first encounter something, I, I could only imagine what the difference would be. Just give the problem to God first. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that some of these other things might not still happen, but I'll be pretty certain that the fear won't be there, the panic won't be there, the depression won't be there, and you'll be operating out of a much better place to actually deal with the problem. Now, this, is gonna, this will be hard. It's, you're going to fail a lot if you truly resolve to do this. You'll find that, you know, it, it, it just won't come naturally. It's not the natural inclination for most people to pray first. Because we get so wrapped up in whatever emotion may be tied to this problem that we just immediately, and, and some of it's your personality. You know, some people are just doers or fixers, and so their first inclination is, oh, I can fix that, and off you go. And this is the same thing that uh, all the seminars always tell husbands <laughs> when dealing with their wives. It's like sometimes wives don't want to be fixed. They just want to be heard, right? So you're just to listen. Don't immediately try to fix the problem. Just listen, right? And that's, that's a skill that you have to learn. It's a skill that you have to work at. And, and this is going to be too. But I think if you will stay with it, it will become as natural to you as panicking used to be. If we'll just take that time and say, okay, Lord, this, this is not good. What do we do about this? And then just spend some time listening for an answer. So make Jesus your first option instead of your last resort is the first point. The second point that I kind of drew out of this or that God directed me to was to ask for more. 
And I looked at verse 24 where it says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And what I believe this means is to let Jesus move you from doubtful to powerful. See, the word of Jesus and the Father's response in this text really raises a pretty important point. <coughs> and it all centers around this phrase that, that Jesus utters, everything is possible for him who believes. Okay? So does that phrase mean, first of all, I, Jesus, can do everything because of the amount or quality of my faith? Or, number two, everything is possible to you if only you had that amount or quality of faith? Or, three, everything is possible if you have faith in what I can do for you, placing the emphasis not upon the degree of faith, but upon the relationship of trust between the man and Jesus. See, if it was the first, then the man clearly misunderstood what Jesus said. And he goes un uncorrected, which is very unusual in Mark's gospel. Mark always resolves these issues when, he's, when he brings them up. So there's very little, if anything, in Mark's gospel that sort of stays wrong, if you will. If it meant the second, then the man really seems to be disqualifying himself, doesn't he? It's like, well, I don't really have that much faith. But the third option is really the one that fits the best because it allows for this, the battering that this man's faith has just taken, right? I mean, he went to these disciples. They were supposed to be able to do this. He says, I brought you my son. I asked your disciples, and they could not do it. So, I mean, his faith has taken a hit. And so the main point of this third way is that the miracle does not depend upon the degree, the quality, or the amount of the man's faith, but only in him having enough faith to link him effectively to the ministry of Jesus. It's the faith as small as a mustard seed that we like to talk about. And so the same thing is true for us in our life. A lot of times, faith is mixed with these questions and doubts that we have. And I think as long as that lack of faith has to do with um, our own inadequacies and not God's power and God's ability, then I think God is able to definitely work within those weaknesses. And honestly struggling with faith doesn't mean that God's not going to respond to our requests. But he does expect us to grow and mature in our faith. So we've got to be honest with ourselves and with God and be willing to humble ourselves and admit that we have a lack of faith in some cases. So we can pray that God would then give us the faith that we need to do even greater things. And so I sort of asked the same question I asked before, but in a slightly different way. What might happen if instead of doubting that you have enough faith, we all resolve to ask for more? 
what might you be willing to pray for if that were the case? What miracles could end up resulting from it? You know, we talk a lot in, in when we're um, talking about praying for people's healing, you know, that we've most of us have enough faith to pray for headaches. That's not too hard. You can generally see right away someone's getting better. They say, oh, my head feels a little better. Okay, great. Prayer worked. Be presented with a man in a wheelchair, and what happens then? I don't have enough faith for that. Well, instead of going down that path, why don't we just ask for more? And say, Lord, I'm just, I've got to depend on your faith. I'm struggling here, but I know you can heal this person of whatever it is that they're dealing with. And move forward and pray that way, as opposed to just saying, no, I can't do that. So be willing to ask for more. And then finally, accept his hand. And from this, we look at the 26th and 27th verse where he says, The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And very simply, I think this means let Jesus raise you from the dead. See, there, from time to time, we all get into this place of spiritual deadness manifests itself in a whole lot of different ways. I was reading a book not so long ago. Um, some of you may be familiar with Jenison Franklin. Um, wrote a really good book on fasting, if you're ever interested. It's an excellent um, book on how to fast and how to go about it. But this particular book was called The Spirit of Python. And Essentially, what he's doing in the book is saying that Satan attacks us very similarly to the way a python attacks his prey, by squeezing the life out of a person. And so if we look at that from a spiritual perspective, that can happen a lot of different ways. We may uh, lose our, our, our feelings of intimacy with God. There may be... Uh, an app, you just, you just, I don't know, I don't want to read the Bible. I've read that thing a lot. I'm done. Maybe that's how this presents itself to you. <clears throat> Maybe it's speaking words audibly that sort of let the enemy know that he's winning. There was a story I heard <clears throat> about this man named Thomas, and he had just become a monk. So he had joined this monastery, and in the joining, he took a vow of silence. And the only exception to this vow of silence was that once every 10 years, Thomas would be called into the office of the um, supervising abbot. And the abbot would ask him, Brother Thomas, do you have anything to say? So <clears throat> at the end of his first decade there, spent 10 years, hadn't said anything, the superior calls him in and asks him if he has anything to say. Well, Thomas replies, the food is bad. And then he goes back to his duties. So a decade passes. And once again, Thomas is summoned to the study of his superior. Brother Thomas, said the superior, 
Do you have anything to say? Thomas replied, the bed is too hard. And then he goes back to his duties. Another decade passes, so we're at 30 years now. Again, Thomas was called in before his superior. Brother Thomas, do you have anything to say? Thomas responded, I quit. Superior frowned and said, well, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. (laughs) And I share that because it sort of conveys an important truth. You know, nothing more clearly indicates that we've succumbed to the enemy than what is coming out of our mouth. You know, what words are you speaking that constantly affirm either the, the positive or the negative? Um, this whole idea of this uh, spiritual deadness can present itself in not praying, uh, lack of praise. You know, come in here and there's just no, you know, no feeling of praise whatsoever. <clears throat> or perhaps you're, you're doing something that's limiting your own life. <clears throat> and again, it kind of goes back to these words, but in this case, it's just saying, Well, that's not for me. You know, I see how these people, they're pretty spiritual, and yeah, they've gone to that kingdom school, and they're, you know, they can pray for people, but that's just not for me. You know, is that something that you say? That kind of self-talk? Well, if any of those things or something similar is, is... or something entirely different is what's happening to you, and you feel like the spiritual life has been completely squeezed out of you, it's really not the end. Because guess what? Jesus is an expert at resurrections. (laughs) Really is. And all we've got to do is take his hand. And then read scripture, pray, do something entirely different than what you've been doing. Shake up your routine if you need to. So this issue of resolving to encounter Jesus this year. Make Jesus your first option, not your last resort. Let Jesus move you from doubtful to powerful. And then let Jesus raise you from the dead. See, if we would resolve to do these things this year, it's very similar to why I was fascinated with what Karen was saying. Our lives would be significantly different if we were to stand here a year from now and talk about it, if we were to do these things. And as I was driving in, I, I, I was just sort of thinking about this and kind of processing through it. And what I really felt like God said to me was the key word in all of this is resolve. It's not so much these other things, though they are important and though we've got to do them, but they don't mean anything if you don't resolve to do them, right? And so this idea of resolving to do these things is what's going to make the difference. It's like you can read, you know, an instruction manual on how to do this or that, 
but that alone is not what's going to put something together, right? It'd be great if it would. Christmas would, with small children would be so much easier. If I could just read this and the thing just kind of went, or the bike assembled itself, or, God, I had a gas grill one time that took me how long? Days. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to have to go back and get an engineering degree just to put this grill together. Um, and we were going to grill that night. That didn't happen. <laughs> In fact, it didn't happen for a week at least. <laughs> but it was good when we finally did and nothing blew up. So, But you've got to resolve to do it. You know, that's what I don't want to lose sight of here. You know, reading scripture is wonderful. What are you doing about it? And so these, these things can help. And you will encounter Jesus if you will resolve to do them. Amen? All right. Well, let's stand. Father, I, I thank you. for rabbit trails in the midst of sermon preparation that lead to unexpected places. I pray that this was meaningful to, to your people today. Bless us all with a spirit of, of resolution, <clears throat> not in the typical way of making a list of things and then maybe doing them and maybe not, but of truly resolving to encounter Jesus, to go further this year. Father, we, we, there's so much anticipation about what could really happen in this church if we were, would all resolve to do this. This would explode because we would all be living out of your will and doing exactly what you've told us to do. So I give you the thanks for these words, and we give you praise for all those who are gathered here, and ask your blessing upon them. And I pray that, that they would all have an encounter with you this week, meet you in a very, very real way. Bless them all until we have the chance to be together again. We love you and we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Have a great week.